Welcome to the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. My name is Andrew James Brown and I'm the minister of the Unitarian Church in Cambridge, UK. Knowing that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely and that, therefore, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk, I hope that, on occasions, you'll find here a helpful liberal, religious and philosophical reflection that encourages you to journey through life, making footprints rather than blueprints. Welcome. Unplanned obsolescence and how, perhaps, to avoid it. A short thought for the day offered to the Cambridge Unitarian Church as part of the Sunday service of Mindful Meditation. As many of you know, I'm very interested in the creative encounter between my own Unitarian and free religious tradition, with its roots in liberal Christianity, and the two major religious traditions of Japan, namely Shinto and Buddhism. One of the important early encounters was with a remarkable person called Tenko Nishida, born 1872, died 1968, and his utopian community. That's spelt I-T-T-O-E-N, that he founded in 1904 at Kosenrin in the Yamashina district of Kyoto. In case you're wondering, the word Itoen means garden of one light. In passing today, but importantly, Tenko Nishida introduced one of my great religious influences, Imaoka Shinichiro, to Okada Torohiro and his method of meditation known as Saiza, or quiet sitting. This is, as some of you will know, the kind of meditation that our honoured guest this weekend, the Jodo Shinshu Buddhist priest, Miki Nakura-sensei, will be teaching us later on today. Anyway, the Atoan community remains, to this day, an active member of the International Association of Religious Freedom, the IARF, an association that the Cambridge Unitarian Church had particularly close links with when its minister, the Reverend H. Stuart Carter, was serving as the association's president in the 1950s. Now, I simply do not have the time here to give you anything like a full history of Itoen, but here it is sufficient to know that it was founded, to use their own words, as, quote, a community of people, who seek to live a life of having no possessions, together with service, in a spirit of penitence. At the foundation of this community is the faith that when human beings live in accordance with the way of nature, we are accepted and enabled to live, even without owning things, and even without converting labour into money. Unquote. They became well known in Japan in the early 20th century thanks to a spiritual practice they called Rokuman Gyoyugan, or 60,000 prayers, that revolved around a ritual of cleaning the toilets of the inhabitants of Kyoto. Here's how the writer, filmmaker, anthropologist, teacher and linguist, Crystal Huelen, briefly tells the story. Quote, Tenko-san, as the founder was fondly known, aspired to visit five homes in Kyoto a day for toilet cleaning, an act he repeated 200 days a year. Tenko considered asking a stranger for permission to clean his toilet and the act of cleaning itself as the most humbling of human activities. 
Inspired to live a life of humility and repentance, Tenko drew his inspiration from eclectic sources, Christ, Gandhi, Tolstoy, but especially from Zen Buddhism, and also Nino Miya Sontoku. Over many decades, Kyotoites became accustomed to Itoen squads descending on the city to offer their services for no compensation other than the privilege to serve and polish one's heart in the process of cleaning the toilet. Marching in long lines, carrying buckets and dressed in Buddhist work clothes and bandana, these brigades were picturesque and often photographed as somehow emblematic of Japan and a stop-at-nothing work ethic. Unquote. Now, why do I tell you this story? Well, it's connected to something Whelan calls unplanned obsolescence. You see, in November 2008, Whelan joined Itoen for one of their three-day retreats to learn about their philosophy and spiritual practices. And on her first day with them, she took part in the Rokuman Gyogan, the toilet cleaning. Whelan noted that the language they used to introduce themselves when they knocked at a person's door, asking if they could clean their toilets, was very old-fashioned and very blunt. But it was used because by now it had become deeply embedded in their tradition. That was simply how it was to be done. Throughout the day, Whelan was turned away, often very strongly by puzzled, irritated and sometimes angry people. As Whelan says, she, quote, felt that something was fundamentally wrong about this offer of toilet cleaning. Rather than feeling humbled, I felt that I'd been a complete nuisance at each place I visited. I decided to quit and go back to the meeting spot and wait for the other people in my squad to finish up, Unquote. Later on, she discovered that only one of the men in her squad had received the opportunity to clean three toilets on that day. That was it. As she says in the insightful essay she later wrote about the experience, she, quote, felt convinced then that the offer to clean toilets was a complete anachronism. Even worse, it was self-centred to expect others to indulge us by letting us clean their toilets just because it happened to be our spiritual practice. Whelan realised that, although things were very different at the beginning of the 20th century, by 2008, no one wanted or probably even needed their toilets cleaned anymore. Indeed, she reminds us that the world's largest sanitary equipment company, Toto Limited, is the country's leading toilet maker. And Toto completely revolutionised the bathroom experience in 1980 with the introduction of its washlet, a toilet with an integrated bidet. Today, it seems 70% of Japanese households now have washlet toilets. I hope you can see that, although Itoen's original ritual of toilet cleaning, born out of their religious desire to provide a certain kind of much-needed service, was by now a religious ritual that was only sustained by a foundational myth rather than any actual need found in society. This central ritual of theirs had become utterly obsolete, in a completely unplanned way. I think their experience helps us see more clearly a major unplanned obsolescence that we here in the UK are facing right now. 
It's important to realise that, in its earliest years, the thing that the Unitarian movement thought desperately needed cleaning up was not the toilet, although we were very concerned with bringing in legislation that helped improve public sanitation, but Christianity. This was because our religious movement's founders strongly felt that it had become thoroughly corrupted. Indeed, one of the most famous books making this claim was Joseph Priestley's A History of the Corruptions of Christianity. Priestley's book was filled with all kinds of criticisms about Orthodox Christianity, but, as a Unitarian, it is not surprising that Priestley particularly criticised the doctrine of the Trinity, namely the idea that God is somehow three persons in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Unitarian position was, of course, that God was one, hence uni rather than trinitarian, and that Jesus was fully human, i.e. not God. Now I say the Unitarian position was, of course, how I have just outlined it, but how many people in our, by now massively secularised society, give a flying fig about such abstruse questions? They may have occupied, highly vexed and angered the minds of earlier generations, to the point where many of our forebears were imprisoned, exiled, tortured or even executed for denying the veracity of the Trinity. But today? When was the last time you had that conversation? What this makes me ask is, what happens to organised Unitarian religion when the organised Trinitarian religion it sought to clean up is rapidly disappearing from British culture, as all the recent surveys and the recent census shows. We can see that Itoan's foundational ritual needed dirty toilets for it to remain relevant and meaningful. But Toto's washlet got rid of dirty toilets. So one of the many pressing questions for Itoan is what rituals does it now need to develop if their foundational, liberal, free religious, spiritual insight is to continue to flourish? Analogously, the Unitarian movement's foundational rituals required a corrupted Christianity for them to remain relevant and meaningful. But the process of secularisation is clearly succeeding in getting rid of the kind of Christianity that so concerned our forebears. So the question for us is, what rituals do we in the Unitarian movement now need to develop if our foundational, liberal, free religious, spiritual insight is to continue to flourish? My personal wager, drawing particularly on the example of Ima Oka Shinichiro's conjoining of Christianity, Buddhism, Shintoism and the kind of post-Unitarian free religious approach inspired by Ralph Waldo Emerson, is upon developing and introducing new, simple rituals that on the one hand centre on meditation, such as the mindfulness meditation we now practice in the morning service, and Sizer meditation, quiet sitting, as I hope to practice it in a new evening gathering. And on the other hand, new simple rituals that centre on the kind of open, flowing, poetic, free religious conversation encouraged by Michael Oakeshott that I've spoken about with you before, and which will also have a place in the new evening gathering. Of course, other kinds of rituals are possible to imagine. But in all cases, the wider Unitarian movement in the UK must find ways to recognise that without creating new rituals, 
the kind of unplanned obsolescence already faced by Etoen will be its fate too. A collection of Tenko San's writings in English can be found in his book, New Road to Ancient Truth. And it strikes me that we, like Etoen, need to listen to Tenko San and once again begin to travel that road. A new road that is assuredly safer than the known way. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path. Mm-hmm.